Alrighty, welcome to Outrageously Unnecessary, your podcast all for talking about the ridiculous things that the wealthy have bought or done through the ages because as long as they've had money, they've been spending it on stupid, stupid shit. Um, I'm your host, Haley, and over there is my co-host, Steven. What's up, Gilded Gang? Ooh, the energy, Stephen, the energy. <laughs> well, seeing as how our conversation right before this, like, weirdly, that gave me a lot of energy. Oh, <laughs> you needed to get it off your chest. We were we were doing some major <laughs> gossiping. We were catching up because I thought Stephen was dead from COVID. And I then thought I he, was dead, too. Yeah. I was actually, I, I wrote up my own epitaph and everything. Oh, no. What was your and epitaph? They, Do you mind telling they, me? They were full of puns. Oh, yeah, that's a good epitaph for you. <laughs> Husband, father, full of puns. <laughs> oh, yeah, but I'm I'm very glad to, to hear your voice. And no, genuinely, you didn't answer me for so long. And then all of a sudden today, you were just like, I'm sorry, I was dealing with COVID and taxes. And I'm like, that's a horrible combo. Yep, it, it was absolutely terrible. Actually, my grave epitaph was, uh, I definitely made a grave mistake. Ooh. <laughs> Since you almost died, I'll give you that one. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. No. Um, and Gilda Gang, for any of you who have had COVID, um, obviously, I I now understand what people have gone through. And I, obviously, I didn't get the, the first major strain or anything like that. But I definitely, like, as I was telling Haley, I'm not at 100%. I just, no matter what I do, no matter how much rest I get, and that's, like, I normally get about four to five hours of sleep a night anyway, but that's pitiful, Stephen. Yeah, that's my life. Hey, but that's I'm pitiful. To... Is that because that's... of children, or are you just an insomniac? Uh, mostly just I'm just I struggle with insomnia, and oh, also yeah. because I also struggle with anxiety and major depression. Um, my and my brain never shuts off. I'm constantly thinking about everything that I did yesterday, what I what I need to do today, and what I have to do tomorrow. I feel that in my bones. I feel yeah. that in my bones. Let me tell you, meds, the best. I love my meds. <laughs> oh, no, meds are great. And, and I obviously, uh, I'm a huge advocate for them now. Uh, I grew up in a home that did not advocate it, um, that uh, was very, very, you know, spiritual and super religiously, you know, if God, so. if God wasn't fixing you, then <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If God wasn't fixing you, you're, yeah. It, you have anxiety? No, you're in sin. You have depression? No, you're in sin. Pray about it. Read the Bible. All right. Fuck. Okay. Uh, oh, my but, buddy. Okay. Well, I'm glad one that you're vaccinated better. and yes. everything was not as bad as it could have been. And two, I'm glad that you are feeling better, even if you Thanks. have not reached a hundred percent. Like, Thanks. Uh, so sorry, Gilded Gang, that this episode is late, but Stephen was dying. So you know what? Better late than never. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, of course, I've missed you. I've missed the Gilded Gang, and I'm super stoked to be recording to give you guys another episode. You it know, feels really good. It feels really good to be recording. <laughs> I, but I do have to ask, and, and honestly, we're going to bring this up every episode, but has Sneeds Fairy reached out to us yet? I don't think no, so. No, no Sneeds Fairy has reached out to us, <sighs> and I'm feeling really sad about that, feel, but there was somewhere I feel weirdly a little hurt. I feel weirdly? <laughs> someone in Texas, though, and I would have to look up which city it is. Someone in Texas has been listening to us, and I appreciate that. Thank you, Texas. Thank you, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. And then my neighbors oh. were listening to us, and they sent me a picture of them listening on their road trip, and I was like, oh my god, guys. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, my uh, my cousin Ian. Uh, Ian, I'm going to give you a shout out right now on the podcast, brother. Um, he, uh, He's an avid listener. Uh, he always asks, you know, when the next episode's coming out. And uh, so, yeah, 
so all of you have kept up with us through our craziness. Thank you. We, we really love you, and we, we appreciate it. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I believe that you are next up. Would you like to go? I would. I would love to go. You know what? Because I'm worth it. <laughs> Do you know that slogan? Because, baby, I'm worth it. Dun, dun. Yeah. I, but, yeah, that's the song. But do you know the slogan, though? Because I'm worth it. Because I'm worth it. I mean, right. I like I know the phrase, but I, I don't know, like, who that's associated with as a slogan. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to fill you in. And while you're mulling that over, I'm going to I'm going to fill it in. So this person I ran across, um, honestly, it was a random run across and probably if I hadn't randomly run across it, this particular person and the industry that they were involved with would probably have never come across my purview. Uh, I'm going to hiccup just for a second. I'm going to mute my mic. Hang on. <laughs> oh, at yeah. least he's a gentleman. Ooh. Absolutely. Manners maketh men, Haley. Oh, I literally just watched King's Band, like the prequel one. Uh, we did. Not, yeah, last night. We did too last night. What? <gasps> Oh, oh, twinsies! Oh, <laughs> uh, well, and uh, yeah, and there and there's a lot of French people in that, so it's actually kind of fitting. Yeah. Um, this um, individual, uh, her name is uh, Lillian, or she was born Lillian Henriette Charlotte Schuler. Mm-hmm. She was born on October twenty first, nineteen twenty two, in Paris. She was the only child of Louise Madeleine Berth and Eugene Schuller. Eugene Schuller was a chemist who founded one of the world's most largest cosmetics and beauty companies when he came across and discovered a hair product that he called Oreal, and he came to found L'Oreal. Oh, what? Yes. Okay. Now I recognize. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, So he, uh, the father, uh, he was a young French chemist and he graduated in 1904 from the Institut de Chimie Apolique. I think I'm saying that right, which is now. It sounded very French, so I'm going with it. Uh, which it's now called Chimie Paris Tech. Um, but in 1907, it was an innovative hair color formula mm-hmm. uh, that he that he called Oreal. Uh, he formulated and manufactured his own products, and he sold them individually to Parisian hairdressers. But in 1809, he registered his company, the Société Française de Teignures et Novins pour Chevaux. That's so which much would, French. Which would become the future L'Oreal, which... And his guiding principle of the company would be research and innovation solely in the interest of beauty. Okay, that's okay. That's lofty goals. <laughs> Absolutely, hundred uh, percent. So, my my person tonight is his daughter, Lillian. So, when Lillian uh, was five years old, and of course, this information is from Wikipedia, also through the New York Times and Washington Post. Um, when Lillian was five years old, her mother died, and she formed a really close bond with her father, who later married Lillian's British governess. I bet that was a scandal. Um, at the age of 15, she joined her father's company as an apprentice, mixing cosmetics and labeling bottles of shampoo. So she got to work in it from the ground up. That's interesting that up. he would have his, his precious baby daughter actually, like, working. 
most of the time, like, heiresses don't work. So, you know, I'm here for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, she got to see her company from the ground up, and she got to, like, actually know the product. So, sure, I'm about it. Um, in 1950, she married French politician André Bettencourt, who served as a cabinet minister in the French governments of the 1960s and 70s and rose to become deputy chairman, this is Lillian, deputy chairman of L'Oréal. Comes okay. out to... There was actually a scandal and rumors and like hearsay uh, surrounding um, André Bettencourt that he was a member of La Cagoule, which is a violent French fascist pro-Nazi group that Lillian's father, who was also a Nazi sympathizer. Oh, he was doing so good. Had funded and supported in the 1930s. Yay. But all the members were subs- subsequently arrested in 1937. Thank God. Um, after including, the war, wait, including the father was arrested? Oh, no, the father was never, the father does not say the father was arrested. Boo. It just says that the members of La Cagoule were arrested, but it does not say specifically that the father was. But after the war, uh, Lillian's husband, like other members, was given refuge at L'Oréal, despite his politically inconvenient past. Eventually, the Betancourts settled in an old, excuse me, Art Moderne mansion built in 1951 on a road that I cannot say in a town that I cannot say. But you've France. already been doing so good with all of this French. Well, at least okay. good to my ears. It could Let be absolute try. garbage if we have French listeners. Uh, 1951 on Rue de Delabordère in Neuilly-sur-Seine. Oh, Neuilly-sur-Seine, France. Oh, okay. Oh, I, I know where that town is, actually. You did it. Um, and they had one daughter, Francois, who was born in 1953. So, moving forward in time, she actually inherited in 1957 the entire L'Oreal fortune when her father died. Wow. Uh, and she became the principal shareholder. Uh, she, uh, actually upon death, she owned uh, uh, a 33% majority stakehold in the company. Um, in 1963, the company went public, although Betancourt continued to own a majority stake. Betancourt referring to Lillian being her married name. Mm-hmm. In 1974, in fear that the company would be nationalized after the French elections, she exchanged almost half of her stake for a 3% stake in the Nestle company. Oh, bitch, Nestle's evil. Okay, okay. Well, here we go. Oh, we go. God, I don't trust Lillian. Um, so let me just skip ahead a little bit here. We're going to come back. We're going to come back to Nestle, okay? We're going to come back to Nestle. Okay. Um, all right. I don't have high hopes right now, Stephen. <laughs> Uh, Bettencourt did, uh, and her and her husband, uh, they founded the Bettencourt Schuler Foundation to help supply and develop medical, cultural, and humanitarian projects. The foundation is based in Neuilly-sur-Seine, uh, which is the the town that she lives in, or she she's no longer living, but she did live in. Yeah, she uh, she moved there. This that's such again really good goals, but knowing yeah. that Nestle is out of this. 
Get, just, just, just hang on a second. Okay, okay, we're, we're okay. I'm there. holding. I'm holding. So the foundation uh, benefits from assets of about 150 million euros and an annual budget of approximately 15 million euros, which um, uh, approximately 55 percent goes to scientific education and research, 33% to humanitarian and social projects, and 12% to culture and arts. In 2007, oh, Betancourt was jointly awarded a Black Planet Award. Are you familiar with the Black Planet Award? No, but it sounds like something out of Star Trek. The Black Planet Award is an, is an award given by... Uh, and agreed upon by um, ecologist, it is the award given to a one person or company deemed to be solely responsible for destroying the planet. Oh my God! <laughs> so Lillian Betancourt was awarded this Black Planet Award along with Peter Brabeck Lemeth, who was. His last name is Lemeth? Lemeth. L E T. M-A-T-H-E. I prefer to think of him as thinking that his last name is The Meth. Okay. Nope. He is the chairman emeritus, the former chairman and CEO of the Nestle Group. Gross, slimy people, gross, slimy people who own all the water. (laughs) They were awarded this Black Planet Award for proliferating contaminated baby food. Yeah. Monopolizing water resources. Yeah. And tolerating child labor. Uh, yeah, I've heard about a lot of this on Behind the oh, Bastards. Yeah. Uh-huh. Bananas. Bananas. Oh, um, what horrible people. So that kind of, for the most part, covers kind of her early life, kind of how she rose to. <gasps> her early life, now. and then we jumped to 2007. She's an old lady now. We're, we're gonna we're gonna jump backwards in time a little bit because the first half I wanted to kind of give a, just a scope of who uh, she is. Okay, which is a bad person, and what yeah. she did. <sighs> yes and no. I, yes and no. Uh-huh. Mostly yes, but also kind of no. Okay, fine. Um, so now I want to jump back in into some interpersonal scandals of Miss Lillian Bettinger. Um, by most accounts, Lillian Bettinger met François-Marie Bagnier, a French writer, artist, and celebrity photographer, in 1987 when he was commissioned to photogra- photograph her for the French magazine Egoiste, which I did not look up what that means. Over the ensuing years, Bagnier and Bettencourt became friends, and she became his benefactor, bestowing gifts upon him estimated to be worth as much as $1.3 billion. That's too many dollars. The gifts include, amongst other things, a life insurance policy worth 253 million euros. Another life insurance policy worth 262 million euros. 11 works of art valued at 20 million euros, including, but not limited to, paintings by Picasso, Matisse, Mondrian, De Lunay, and Leger, and a photographer by a surrealist painter named Man Ray, and cash. In cash? And, and, space, cash, as part of the gifts. Whoa. That's okay. I'm listening to uh, I'm listening to the podcast Art Fraud right now, so I'm learning how much paintings cost and like 
yeah. any of those artists are just a bananas amount of money. And this is just in cash as a gift. What the fuck? Okay, please continue. I know, I know. These amounts are nothing to brush off. Absolutely. So, moving forward. And yes, I, I know you caught that pun. You're just ignoring it. I, and I, it's okay. Wait, did, I wait that. what? No, oh, I didn't, didn't catch it. I didn't catch <gasps> it. What did you say? Oh, no, I can't go back now. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll, said, I'll catch it on the realist when I'm editing this. <laughs> I'm sure it was horrible. Here, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do a post boo. <laughs> Oh, man. So, yeah. Okay, so this was a huge, huge scandal, right? So this this th- didn't really come out until recently. Um, I say recently. In 2000... So this... So she met him in, in, in 1987. But in 2007, about a month after, her, after the death of her father, um, their daughter lodged... Uh, uh, Lillian Bedencourt's daughter lodged a criminal complaint against Banier and she accused him of abuse de fabule uh no abuse de faiblesse that's what it is I don't know what faiblesse is is it like it's the exploitation of a physical or psychological weakness for personal gain okay so she the daughter is essentially saying that the the guy who her mother is friends with was exploiting her mother Mm -hmm. yes okay and and essentially taking Profit over the fact that she was getting older and that. But they'd known each was... other for 20 years. True, true. Um, so, as a result of the complaint, the brigade, the brigade financier, which is the, finest, the financial investigative arm of the French National Police, opened an investigation and, after interviewing members of Betancourt's staff, determined to present the case to a court in Nanterre for trial in September 2009. In December 2009, the court delayed ruling on the case until 2010, pending the results of a medical examination of Betancourt's mental state. However, Betancourt refused to submit to these examinations. I'm sure she has all of her marbles. I'm sure she's fine. She knows what she However, did. In July 2010, the trial was adjourned until autumn of 2010 after details of tape recordings made by Betancourt's butler, Pascal Bonifoy, <gasps> became Pascal! Public. It was, it was Pascal! It was the butler! <laughs> it was, it was the It's butler. always the butler! <laughs> Oh, gosh, here we are using overt French accents. I apologize if we were offending anyone. I mean, your pronunciations um, of everything, it probably has long offended and they've left by now. So at oh, this 100%. point, it's just our friends here. <laughs> we're all friends here. Um, so, yeah, so um, Pascal's tapes were turned over to the police and consisted of over 21 hours of conversation and were made because the butler had feared that Betancourt was suffering from, from Alzheimer's disease and was, and was being duped by her friend. So he okay, so he her. cared about her. He was a good dude. Oh, no, but were they incriminating? Because I really feel like they're about to be. The tapes reveal that Betancourt had made Bonnier her sole heir, excluding the L'Oreal shares which made up the bulk of Betancourt's estate and which had already been signed over to her daughter and two grandsons. Okay, so her daughter does get something. She didn't completely snub her daughter, but that's still no, no, no. real creepy that... Okay, this does kind of sound like she's being duped if she if she like gave this man her everything. Yes. So, uh, long story short, Bonnier 
was going to face prison time. He wormed his way out of it because he claimed he didn't have the money uh, to pay the settlements that was being asked of him. Boo. Um, but he ended up somehow getting some of the money that she had, some of the shares that How? she had bestowed. How do you get that if you've just gone to know. trial for it? That's obviously the insurance company is going to be like, no. I, you would think, but somehow he managed to weasel his way and uh, get some funds. What the so, fuck? Uh, I know. Um, so, wrapping up. Forbes ranked Betancourt uh, in the list of the world's wealthiest persons with an estimated fortune of $38.8 billion. Billion with a she, B. Billion with a B. God. As, tw- as of 2016, she was the top female billionaire in the world and was also the richest person in France. With in the Black Planet Award. With the Black Planet Award. Oh, my God. And so in 2005, Forbes judged her to be the 39th most powerful woman in the world. I don't want um, her to be in power. She's gross. Um, but she did pass away on the 21st of September in 2017. Did all of that money end up going to Mr. Guy, Mr. Beignet? No, 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 no. Um, he only he only walked away with a very small percentage of the shares. Uh, the majority of it was either given away to the foundation or signed over to um, her daughter and, uh, and two grandsons. I mean, that's a small consolation, knowing that some of it went to the foundation. But like now I want to just go into like a rabbit hole of looking into this foundation and like, how skeevy are you guys? Uh, like, I know. Are, what are you guys? Uh, are I you know. a part of this whole Black Planet Award thing? I mean, mm-hmm. God knows Nestle is a part of this Black Planet Award right. thing. But, but in this story, we know who the true hero is. It is Pascal. It is you are Pascal. a true hero the of the story. It's the butler. <laughs> hey, for uh, once, uh, the uh, butler uh, was not the one who did it. <laughs> and, well, and if we learned anything from the king's man, it's always trust the help. Always trust the help. Absolutely. And when I say help, I mean of all different ethnicities <laughs> and persuasions, and those jobs are acts are just as important as any other job in the world. I love that you had to clarify that. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. You're like, please, nobody come after me on the internet. I meant that in the best way possible. Yes. Don't come after me on the internets. I am probably the, uh, the, the we one trust of the most the Edwardian servants in the world. Oh, my goodness gracious. Speaking um, of Edwardian servants, I need to catch up on Gilded Age. I'm da- I need to watch the latest. At- Strudel, don't you dare honk that yeah, while I'm recording. I need to just start it. I mean, but uh, let's be honest. I've got so many shows I need to start start oh no Uh, we got yeah we got a lot that we need to get we need to catch up on demon slayer and uh also we're getting off topic and we're getting (laughs) off topic i'm sorry we need to give pascal his dues good job pascal round of applause yes merci pascal merci merci pascal well (sighs) isn't merci pascal because i mean he was saving a woman who has a black planet award so Grayer, grayer. Grayer, grayer. <laughs> All right, that was wonderful, Stephen. Thank you. No problem. No problem. Do you have a chump change? I do indeed. Da 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 chump change. <laughs> We've had a jingle for how many episodes now and still...
Yeah. Yeah. Da 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 da. Okay. What do you got? What do you got? Because I certainly don't right. have a chump change. So we're going to listen to you talk a little bit more. Regale me. So, I shout out regale. Oh, thank you, sir. Um, so growing up as a kid, um, and I didn't really appreciate him as much until I got older because as a kid, like, there were a lot of things that I did with my dad and stuff growing up that was a blast. But there was like a, definitely a lot of times where he took me like to the most boring ass places and like just like the gun show. Like like gun shows when I was like eight years old or nine years old. Yeah, you don't I care, care about less. that. Yeah, I could care less about things that murder people. I could care less, um, and I was so bored. And I'll, I'll never forget. Like year after year, he would take me to uh, Oklahoma's Oklahoma City's flea market. Um, okay, that actually sounds really fun, though. I, I deeply enjoy flea markets. Not as a child, sure. but as an adult. Yeah. No, not as a, yeah as an adult. I live for those. Um, but as a child. Super boring. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, but I will say it taught me, it taught me patience. It taught me to appreciate things that I didn't really like. Appreciate people's work and like creativity. Um, and so, anyways, long story short, um, I came to enjoy flea markets. And as I got older, I, every time my dad asked me to go, I went. There's a lot of cool stuff in flea markets, you know. Especially like some of these people that, you know, make stuff out of their houses that don't have actual storefront businesses um, just trying to either make a living or just wanting to share a piece of their heart and soul. Um, so there was a, a man in Pennsylvania um, who was also a, a flea marketer, I think as they called him. Yeah, a marketeer. Uh, he had bought this old painting for like four bucks at this one market in Adamstown, Pennsylvania. Uh, he hated the painting. Hated it. Why did he, he buy it? The, but he liked the frame. Oh, that's fair. The only fair. way that he could get the frame was, was he get to buy the damn painting. For four dollars um, for a for a quality frame, that's actually a really yeah. good steal. That's yeah. So, so the okay, so the new, so this guy, this new owner of the painting, um, took it home, removed the painting, uh, and of course the frame was older and it, it fell apart. So he's like, God, fuck, I gotta fix it. Um, but there was like this small folded document between the canvas and the wood backing. No. And uh, he opened it up and it looked like just uh, like an old document, like a, like a super old document. Well, um, he took it to a friend who um, collects Civil War memorabilia and, and advised him to have it appraised. That folded up paper turned it out to be one of the 24 copies of the Declaration of Independence. Are you shitting me? Are you nope. shitting me? This man is the luckiest man in the world. A historian confirmed that it was an original Dunlap copy. He which could is have just the, not noticed it at all. Could have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why was it in a frame? Why was it hidden there? You know, depending on how old the painting was, what if... what? Here's... Here's, here's the story I made up in my head as I was reading this. What if there was like an elite secretive group of the Redcoats that their sole job was kind of like in World War II was to hunt down copies of like important uh, documents, artifacts, and what like if the this monuments document, men? 
Absolutely. So what if there was there was You said redcoats. Do you think that the English are going around saving American documents? No, 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 no. There was a secretive group of redcoats that was trying to destroy American documents. Oh. Yes. Why wasn't so this they, the plot of National Treasure? That, right. And so and so yeah, so there's a secretive group of like like militant redcoats that are like, you know, super undercover Secret Service type people that are like that's all they're, they're trying to destroy. Right. This the book. documents and artifacts. Right. This book. Okay? And then so in America here, there is a secretive group of colonials um, that their their whole goal and job was to protect America's documents. So one of these guys, one of these rebel, these rebel colonials folded up one of the documents and stuffed them behind a painting. And that painting was passed down and went through many hands throughout the generations until it came to this flea market. And this guy bought this frame. For $4. Okay, all of that was bullshit except for the fact that it was in the frame, right? Yeah, the whole story was, yeah, that was just the story I I envisioned in my head. That was my That's that's your canon. That's That's your That's your fan. That's my head canon. That's your fanfic. Okay. That's my fanfic slash head canon. But yeah, he bought this painting for $4, sold it at auction, this guy became a millionaire. God! Way over a millionaire. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, there's way more than a million dollars for that. That's incredible. But yeah. So his, yeah, I think I think it was over four million. So he spent four and earned four million. Wow. Wow. Bananas. Good for that guy. Also, what? I'm just glad that he freaking saw that in the frame. Like, he could have been like, oh, the frame fall apart. Okay, I guess I got to throw it away. Wasted four bucks for nothing. Like... Absolutely. In anybody else's hands, they could have been like, well, fuck it. And then, yeah, just tossed, crumpled up that paper and threw it away or whatever and not looked at it, not given a second thought. But yeah, it, that document knew. God. The document itself is sentient. It knew. It, it yeah, it sought out right the hands. person that would do it right. Yes. It was just like, you, I want Absolutely. you. Sir, come by me. You like this frame. <laughs> why are you making it, why are you making it weird and old and creepy? <laughs> I don't know. Isn't that the 1700s in a nutshell? <laughs> See, see, in my head, I'm picturing something like much more epic. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I think I'm, it's because, okay, so Katie and I have been playing a game called It Takes Two, which is an incredible <gasps> game. We are having the most fun oh with this gosh. game. We love that game so much. But there's a talking book in it, and the talking book is creepy in Spanish. Not that Spanish people are creepy, but I'm saying whoever did the Spanish accent was not Spanish. <laughs> that book is an asshole. Such a dick. He's a dick. And that's, yeah. I'm sorry, but he also does the book does a little dance every time it talks to you. So that was what my brain was thinking. The Declaration of Independence is doing is this stupid little dance and be like, "Hello, come here." <laughs> See, I'm picturing like a super like swole anthropomorphic Declaration of Independence. Declaration of Independence with like knight armor on. No. And just. <laughs> I am America. I'm I am Amer- America. You, you I'm and America. I both know it would not be night armor. It would either be like a oh, CIA man. agent wearing the aviators. A hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. So, yeah. They, or it's wearing a 1700s wig. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Does it uh, look like Thomas Jefferson? Probably. Probably. Oh, mm. well, there you go. Well, that was a delight. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Um, would, would you like to hear my story? 
What if I said no? What if I just ran one of the days and be like, no? Well, then this would just be a half hour episode, I guess. And then we'd record the other half for later. And maybe that's, <laughs> we could put out so many more episodes if we just cut these in half. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but, but our stuff just. I like telling each an, other we stories. We need an hour. I don't want to just yeah, hear one 100%. story. I want two stories. Absolutely. And our listeners want to hear us talk. Obviously. Otherwise, why would <laughs> they be here? That super conceited. <laughs> That's that the entire so point of a podcast is just to listen to us talk. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I can just hear the, the text messages that Ian's going to send me after listening to this. Like, wow, you're uh, uh, you're really full of yourself ooh, there. Y'all boy. are... Uh, Actually, he doesn't talk about it at all. You guys Sorry, have Ian. changed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, Haley, what do you, what do you freaking got What do you tonight? got? Okay, so... Um, I want you to know that I wrote this first paragraph thinking that <laughs> thinking that this episode was going to come out on Tuesday the 15th. So uh-huh. I'm just okay. I'm just going to read it, which is in honor of the fact that this episode comes out the day after Valentine's Day. <laughs> I'm going to make this episode about the wedding of the century. And then I said, be thankful. I just could have made it about Valentine's Day being Arizona's birthday, but I don't know what's ridiculous or wealthy about that. I mean, I could have probably written about, like, Tombstone, but I digress. But also, me writing about uh, the wedding of the century is because I myself am getting married and have been doing many, many planning things. And I just went dress shopping this weekend. And fuck me, dresses are expensive. So this seemed appropriate. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Get it. Get it. Okay. Get it. Um, oh, by the way, do you know the song where it goes like, I could be brown, I could be blue, I could be violet sky, I could be hurtful, I could be purple, I could be... Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what that song is called? Don't, not off the top of my head, no. Uh, it's called Grace Kelly. Today we're talking about Grace Kelly. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> Grace okay. Kelly was an American film actress in the 1950s. Uh, she got an Oscar for Best Actress in 1954 for the movie The Country Girl. Uh, the movie, mm. uh, that was the movie for which she was sent by the studio Paramount to go promote in France at the, ooh, I don't, okay, Mr. French Band, it's, I'm assuming you don't pronounce the S. Is it Cannes? Cannes Festival? Can? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, can. Can? Yeah, the can. There's, mm-hmm. there's three extra letters that aren't pronounced there. Come on, yep. France. Um, okay, so she... C- is it C-A-N-N-E-S? C-A-N-N-E-S. Yep, can. Can. What the fuck, France? Anyways, um, so she essentially, she wins this Oscar... Uh, and she's sent by the studio to go to the Cannes Festival pr- to promote the movie. Um, and then while she was on a train ride to the festival, she catches the eye of Prince Rainier of Monaco. And uh, he asked her to come visit. Uh, well, he didn't ask her. He essentially sent a friend and was like, hey, can you go like poke her in her car and be like, hey, Prince Rainier hey, thinks hey, you're bud, hot. Hey, can you go talk to her for me? Yeah. yeah. Can you go give her, the, give her this note? Yeah, can you can have you... her check yes or no? <laughs> Shit. Hey, that girl's really cute. Uh, I have this note and it, she just unfolds in it and it's like, do you think I'm cute? Yes or no? Check one. Yep. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And yes, I'm guilty of sending one of those notes in Who junior high. Who hasn't sent one of those notes? Oh, man. Uh, oh man mm, memories anyways so essentially like through this this mutual friend um 
he asked her, like, hey, you should you should come and visit my palace in Monaco. And she was like, I am not allowed to do this or anything, for that matter, without my studio's go-ahead. So I'm going to ask my studio. Uh, and uh, she got the go-ahead. And she eventually, I don't know if this was on this trip or if it was a couple, like, months later or whatever, but she got to go and meet him, and he gave her a tour of his palace. This is something that's just so, like, a fucking prince sees you on a train and thinks you're beautiful and gives you a tour of his palace, and, like, at his palace is a private zoo, (laughs) and who wouldn't be wooed by a private zoo? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I would, 100%. Uh, I'm immediately just like Gobstrug being like, there's a prince and he has a palace and a private zoo and he likes me. Like, there's nothing about this that is bad. Um, Yeah. And uh, I believe she had like a photo shoot there. That was why Paramount was like, yeah, you can go have photos taken at a palace. That's cool. Uh, And so she got that done. Uh, She had a nice time. And she went back to America. And for a solid year... They were pen pals. Um, And so they just were pen pals for a whole entire year. And then after a year, Prince Rainier popped the question. Uh, So from Wikipedia, quote, Kelly's initial engagement ring was fashioned from two family heirlooms, forming intertwining diamond and ruby circlets. Upon the start of filming High Society later that month, Rainier presented her with a second diamond engagement ring made by Cartier to wear during production in place of a prop. The second ring featured a 10.5 carat emerald cut diamond flanked by diamond baguettes. That just makes me think that it's uh, literal, like, bread baguettes, but made of diamonds. Yes. Diamond bread. It's diamond bread. Oh, this episode is so French today. Um, Oh, yes. Okay, continuing the... Is that the title of this episode? It's so French today. (laughs) It's so French today. It's so French today. (laughs) Anyways. um, uh, Kelly's family reportedly paid $2 million in dowry... Half came from her inheritance, while the other half came from her own earnings, end quote. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. So she's rocking a 10.5 carat cut emerald diamond flanked by diamond baguettes. She had to pay. Dowries are so confusing to me, but I guess it's essentially the family giving money to the husband to say, hey, please use this money to take care of our daughter. Yes, that's exactly what it's for. So dowries are... Dowers can either be it can either be financial. Um, a lot of times they were considered as like traits, um, like you know, yeah, yeah old time. Propo- think about like just real quick fill in like old time proposals. You know, a, a man would say, I, I'll, "I'll offer you this many uh, head of sheep, head of cattle for your daughter." Um, but yes, m- more times than a dowry was, "Hey, this money is for you to take our daughter away and get her off our hands and take care of." Her. I know it's essentially being like, "We'll pay you to take her away." <laughs> like I'm choosing in this case to think of it since it's the '50s as "Please take care of our daughter" uh, yes. rather than "Please take her off our hands" because at this point, <laughs> it's, it was a two million dollar dowry. Half came from her inheritance, and the other came from her own earnings. She's obviously doing well for the family. She has. An She's Oscar, fun. for God's sake. Like, for God's sake. Yeah. For Pascal's sake. For Pascal's sake. Pascal. <laughs> 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 we need to find Pascal. a photo of Pascal. Um, 
So, <sighs> in any case, so Monaco is a really teeny tiny country, right? And everyone yeah. in America oh, yeah. is just like, holy shit, our favorite actress, America's sweetheart, is going to be a princess. We need to follow her. And so, in 1956, uh, Grace Kelly took a boat. And by boat, I mean, like, it was it was a yacht. Uh, or I don't know if it was a yacht. Nah, I digress. Um, she uh, took a boat to sail to Monaco from America, because I guess planes weren't a thing. Um, and she went with 65 of her closest friends. Uh, and then when she arrived... Say what? Yeah, she took 65 of her closest friends on this boat. She's like, if I'm moving to another country, 65 of you people are coming with me. And they all said, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah, we're coming with you. Um... And then when they showed up at the port, uh, she was greeted by 20,000 Monaco residents and 1,500 journalists. Oh, wow. Can you imagine stepping off and just seeing this crowd of people and everyone is just clamoring for a photo or a glimpse of you? Right. Yeah. 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 That's. But hey. She's a celeb. She's a celeb. Uh, not after this, she ain't. She's she she hangs up her acting career and goes full princess, um, which I respect because princess. That feels like that would be difficult to balance, but maybe not. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. So, anyways, this was called "quote unquote" the wedding of the century. Like this was what all the tabloids, all the newspapers, this is what the headlines were writing. So, the wedding of the century was held at the Prince's Palace of Monaco. Uh, and the St. Nicholas Cathedral. There were two ceremonies. There was a civil ceremony, and then there was the, the public ceremony. And she had two two different dresses for each, and they were both gorgeous. But anyways, uh, so the civil ceremony was at the prince's palace, and uh, the public ceremony was at the cathedral. And it was televised uh, for really enthusiastic viewers all over the globe. And I did not see how many people actually tuned into this, but you just know that it was a shitload. It was, like, as important. Oh, 100%. It was, it was pretty much up there with, um, like, Queen Elizabeth's wedding. Uh, yeah, like... Oh, yeah. I mean... Yeah. That's like people, that's like people tuning into the Super Bowl now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the ceremony itself was attended by over 600 people. Uh, which, okay, I just, I need, I need, I need to point out, I am planning a wedding right now. I have a hundred people coming and I am already just like the most stressed and spending the most money. 600 people is unfathomable to me. Oh, yeah. 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 But, um, part of the crowd of those people who were invited to their to their big fancy ceremony were celebrities like uh, Cary Grant came and also Aristotle Onassis and if you don't know who Aristotle Onassis is he was the one who um, married Jackie Kennedy after um, uh, JFK was shot so oh okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so Jackie Kennedy becomes uh, Jackie Onassis but yeah anywho so he was there and he is filthy fucking rich um, and apparently, I think Aristotle Onassis was really good friends with Prince Rainier, but don't quote me on that. I, I just feel like I read that somewhere. So, um, that's out in the universe now. Um, okay. Grace Kelly married Prince Rainier of Monaco and in her marriage to him, she gained 142 official titles. 
Do you think that the announcer person has to say every single one of those when she comes into a room? You're damn straight. You're goddamn straight. You have to memorize every one of those. But I think one of my favorite of which was Her Serene Highness, Princess of Monaco. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, just Her Serene Highness. She's never allowed to be stressed again a day in her life. Absolutely. Okay. And, it, and and whoever stresses her out, don't worry. We'll take care of that. Yeah, guy. don't you even worry about that. Um, so anyways, let's go ahead and discuss the goods of, of uh, how this wedding went. Mm. Um, the Princess of Monaco, so Grace, uh, her wedding gown was actually a gift from MGM Studios. Uh, in uh, 1956 money... It cost them $65,200 to make. Any guesses on how much that is worth today? Uh, with inflation, $3.2 million? Uh, they're a little over. It's uh, actually uh, $623,000 today. Okay, so way over. Yeah, but, I mean, Ooh. that is still, that is Ooh. that is a chunk of money. Shh. But it, she is stunning. Yeah. So hold on, I'll show you an actual picture in just a second. But um, so, anyways, that cost a bajillion dollars to make. Uh, it is still one of the most expensive wedding dresses, uh, a royal wedding dresses to date. You know, royal's a weird. Uh, why did I say royal specifically? I probably got that from somewhere, but that is making me think that there are non-royal wedding dresses that are more expensive, and that just gives me the heebie-jeebies. Hmm. Anyways, it took 30 seamstresses and six weeks to make. <laughs> oh my gosh, those poor seamstresses. I did 30 of them, just all going at once. Can you even imagine? Oh okay, gosh. so I sent you um, I sent you the photo, or the, it's the original drawing, it, the sketch of the dress. It's by designer Helen Rose, and she designed it specifically for Grace Kelly for this occasion. Um and this is the most, it's just the most lovely sketch. It's absolutely gorgeous. And then you compare it against what was actually, like, worn by Grace Kelly. And it is, it's incredibly accurate. It's what she ended up wearing. Um, I'm going to send this to you. But go ahead and describe, well, I don't how good are you at describing wedding dresses? Girl. Girl. Mm-hmm. Send me the pic. I, I will describe a way. I am sending it to you, but go ahead and describe the sketch as I'm, as I'm trying. It's, uh, it's uploading. I'm sorry. It's uploading. All right. So the wedding dress itself, um, of course, very, very thin in the waist. Um, it looks like there is, uh, I can't really see that. Let me open the original see if I can see a bigger picture. Oh, there we go. Perfect. Okay, so it looks like it's kind of a high frocked collar with some really beautiful like floral embroidery and detail like in the kind of the top half of the dress, long sleeved kind of almost out to kind of just right under the cusp of her palm. Um, looks like there is some sort of either ribbon or sash that's tied around at the waist. Um, and the dress itself, like it flows, it's almost got kind of this long flowing tail. Um, don't necessarily know how you really want to call That's it. That's called that. a train, my darling. <laughs> train. I well, train or yes, I, I I knew that I knew the terminology train, but I'm talking about like like there's like that one 
that what that one lo- lo- looks like a flap. Oh yeah, it does. That, it that definitely has like a bustle fabric of like. Yes, yes. But anyway, so the train itself, um, kind of down the middle, kind of seamed together. Uh, there are neatly tied bows about what looks to be maybe every. 10 inches or so down the train uh, along the outskirts, the bordering of the train. There are beautiful floral uh, embroidery and stitchings uh, kind of woven into it. Um, it's it's very, very heavy floral. Um, and it looks like, and I can't tell if that's just a hip pose or if the actual dress kind of poofs out a little bit like, you know, like, like older dresses. It's definitely do. poofy. It's got some major crinoline okay. action going on under there. Okay. Got it. Okay, I wasn't I wasn't quite sure, um, but the uh, her like her little tiara and headpiece has got a beautiful kind of light silk, uh, probably silk. What, what what material is usually the? Um, I think I might actually have something on that. Uh, I believe it is silk, but it was it was essentially it was studded with a bunch of like pearls and whatnot. But it was really it was an interesting choice for her because what she's wearing is essentially. Um, this headpiece that covers almost all of her hair with uh, this really long uh, veil on the back. And so people were expecting her to like be showing off her hair, but she went with the more modest like Mm -hmm. look. Her hair's up, Mm -hmm. very, very tight and very up. Mm -hmm. So she's definitely like doing the whole like demure, like respectability thing. But like just the fact that this thing took 30 seamstresses to make, uh, and it took them six weeks. And so I have to guess that these guys were working on this like night and day um, to get this in six weeks. Because I just want to point out that I have to order my dress a minimum of six months in advance in order to get it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just incredible to me. But I also, God, I want to wear her wedding dress. It is so freaking pretty. It is so freaking pretty. <laughs> Okay, anyways, moving on. The dress materials included, quote, 25 yards of silk taffeta, 100 yards of silk net. This is another French term I don't know. Pure de soie. (laughs) I don't know what that is. Pure de soie. Pure de soie. Maybe Pascal knows. Um, Pascal, do you know? Pascal, what is pure de soie? (laughs) (laughs) Um, it had tools. That's going to be like, ah, fuck those guys. Uh, and 125-year-old uh, Brussels Rose Point lace. Oh, my oh. God. That lace was 125 years old. That's amazing. I mean. Wow. Uh, I obviously cool. did not read that quote the whole way through. And so I am just now like, wow. Okay. Um yeah, and then her veil, which most of the photos that you, like, see of her is with her veil after she has been, you know, been revealed to her her new husband and God and whatever. And so it's back trailing behind her. But for her walking down the aisle, it was covering her face. It was specifically designed for television so people could see her face more easily through it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so anyways, that's just, that's just the dress. That's just the dress. Um... But once the ceremony was over, the newlyweds left the ceremony in their brand new Rolls Royce. And then Mm. they uh, drove to the reception, which was located at the Hotel de Paris. God, this is a French episode. This is in Monaco. This is in Monaco, and it's still the Hotel de Paris. Wow. Um, 
Or we could go with my nice American accent and say the Hotel de Paris. Um, the Hotel de Paris. The Hotel de Paris. <laughs> Buongiorno. Um, That's Italian, Haley. That's I, Italian. I know. I was making a reference to Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> well, I speak the next best Italian. Buongiorno. <laughs> oh, we're going to hell. Yep, we absolutely are. Um, we're, we're Americans. We don't have respect for other cultures. Um, uh, anyway. But this podcast does. This uh. podcast does. Disclaimer, disclaimer. Um, so the reception was, of course, over the top. Uh, it was for the over 600 guests who had attended the, the ceremony. And then um, an additional 3,000 Monaco citizens. So I don't know how these people were chosen or if it was just like the first 3,000 to make it into the building. You get cake. Get cake. Cake for the first 3,000. I want cake. I want cake. Um, fun fact, Garrett and I are just doing a small cake just for ourselves because nobody ever ends up eating the cake at the ceremony. And we're just going to have, we're going to go yeah. get ourselves some Costco cheesecakes and have uh, brownies and cookies smart. and just have That's a dessert smart. bar. Oh, and we're also going to do some, um, some drumstick, uh, ice cream bars. Yeah. Super smart. Yeah. Way cheaper. Super smart. Way better. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's super smart. So much cool. better. Okay. Anyway, sorry. I keep getting distracted by my own damn wedding. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I still, I just want to know how 3000 Monaco citizens were chosen. Anyways, uh, per town and country, is it per town and county or t- town and country magazine? I wrote county, but that doesn't seem right. Um, no, it's, it's, it's town and country. Okay, town and country magazine. Uh, quote, guests dined on caviar, lobster, champagne, and a 200-pound six-tier wedding cake. Holy Jesus. I'm going to send you a picture of this because it is... Holy Jesus. It's and actually, Count and Towny is the uh, the redneck version of that. <laughs> yeah, Count <laughs> and County. That's that's a gun magazine. Um, yep. Oh, jeez. So this thing is six tiers. Uh, it was styled in sugar after the palace, so it's decorated like the Palace of Monaco, and then it was cut with a ceremonial sword by Prince Rainier. Oh wow! Oh man, and Grace looks so pretty here too. She's she's only twenty six in this photo, which is how old I am, and I'm like, I simply could never. I, oh my God, she's she's genuinely the epitome of elegance. Oh my gosh! But also, this cake is fucking ridiculous. It really and truly looks like the palace. It's got all sorts of little swoopy doos on it, and then I love swoopy doos. There's lots of swoopy doos, and I have to say, the one thing I'm really creeped out by are the weird little cherub things. Like they did the wedding cake topper, but instead of it being the bride and groom, it's two really. I see it. Really creepy cherubs, waving, holding something cherubs. up. I don't like them. I they remind me of troll dolls, and they freak me out. Oof, oof, oof. Yeah, mm, 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 not a fan. Um, but in any case, uh, we are just about wrapping up here. But um, after the ceremony, they left for their honeymoon, and their honeymoon was um, the most bougie royal thing that you could think of, which is yeah. they went on a seven-week cruise on a yacht that was gifted to them by Aristotle Onassis. Oh, well, good for them. I mean, it was a gift, so they couldn't exactly refuse it, but... 
And would one refuse a yacht? Yeah, does one refuse the yacht from Aristotle Onassis? <laughs> would Pascal refuse a yacht? I don't think I so. I don't think that Pascal would refuse a yacht. No. <laughs> oh, man. That's, yeah, that's bonkers. Uh, well, good for them. I hate the water. I will never, probably ever go on a cruise because I hate the water. And I'm claustrophobic. And I hate the water. Have I told you all that I hate the water? I deeply hate op- open ocean. I've been on open ocean. I'm like... Okay, as someone, I went on three cruises as a child, and I had a lot of really good fun times on the cruises, uh, but also I was a child, and now that I'm an adult and my fear of open water has become perfectly realized, I don't know if I'd ever be back on one. Uh, But I hate open water, and I hate fish. I don't think the ocean is meant for me. You and I can stay on land Uh, together there, bud. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right, well, that's all I had for you. If you want to go and see any of the photos that uh, Stephen and I discussed, you can go hit up our Instagram. But wait! But wait! But wait! Oh, no, what did you forget? I have a picture of Pascal. You found Pascal? I found Pascal. Oh, cutting it close to the uh, Pascal. This man does not look like a butler. But he is. He looks incredibly French, though. He looks so incredibly French. I don't even know how. Doesn't he? I don't know how to explain this. It's not like he's wearing a beret and has a funny mustache. He just looks French. Absolutely. He he's got this stern, stoic, very French aristocratic type of feel to him. It's also the eyes and the nose. Like, yes, I found. uh, So I was reading about him while I was finding this picture that he is he is a very kind and a very gentle person. Pascal. Oh. oh, Pascal. Oh, Pascal. Oh. Well, I'm glad to know that he's like a good and kind and decent person. And I feel like we can see that through his actions. Viva la Pascal. <laughs> Viva la Pascal. Is that how we're ending the episode? <laughs> Oh, no, please, no, please leave this in here. Leave this in. This is hilarious. Oh, oh my goodness. Gilded Game, thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, you're amazing. And uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be back. Uh, what did, wait, what did we promise the Gilded Gang, Haley? Like, how many episodes? Was it once a month? Okay, all right. So this one's late. Next month, be on time. Fingers crossed. Knock on wood. All that jazz. Um, yeah. Haley, do you have anything else? All right. Well, good night. All right. And I've.